Section 13 of The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ted Garvin. The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. Part 1. Book the Second. Chapter 3. Troubled Men on the Troubled Ocean two men on board the craft were absorbed in thought the old man and the skipper of the hooker who must not be mistaken for the chief of the band the captain was occupied by the sea the old man by the sky the former did not lift his eyes from the waters the latter kept watch on the firmament the skipper's anxiety was the state of the sea the old man seemed to suspect the heavens he scanned the stars through every break in the clouds it was a time when day still lingers, but some few stars began faintly to pierce the twilight. The horizon was singular. The mist upon it varied. Haze predominated on land, clouds at sea. The skipper, noting the rising bellows, hauled all taut before he got outside Portland Bay. He would not delay so doing until he should pass the headland. He examined the rigging closely and satisfied himself that the lower shrouds were well set up, supported firmly the fuddock shrouds precautions of a man who means to carry on with a press of sail at all risks the hooker was not trimmed being two feet by the head this was her weak point the captain passed every minute from the binnacle to the standard compass taking the bearings of objects on shore the matutina had at first a soldier's wind which was not unfavorable though she could not lie within five points of her course the captain took the helm as often as possible, trusting no one but himself to prevent her from dropping it to leeward, the effect of the rudder being influenced by the steerage way. The difference between the true and apparent course being relative to the way on the vessel, the hooker seemed to lie closer to the wind than she did in reality. The breeze was not a beam, nor was the hooker close-hauled, but one cannot ascertain the true course made, except when the wind is abaft when you perceive long streaks of clouds meeting in a point on the horizon you may be sure that the wind is in that quarter but this evening the wind was variable the needle fluctuated the captain distrusted the erratic movements of the vessel he steered carefully but resolutely left her up watched her coming to prevented her from yawing and from running into the wind's eye noted the leeway the little jerks of the helm was observant of every roll and pitch of the vessel of the difference in her speed and of the variable gust of wind for fear of accidents he was constantly on the lookout for squalls from off the land he was hugging and above all he was cautious to keep her full the direction of the breeze indicated by the compass being uncertain from the small size of the instrument the captain's eyes frequently lowered remarked every change in the waves once, nevertheless, he raised them toward the sky and tried to make out the three stars of Orion's belt. These stars are called the three magi, and an old proverb of the ancient Spanish pilots declares that he who sees the three magi is not far from the Savior. This glance of the captain's tallied with an aside growled out at the other end of the vessel by the old man. We don't even see the pointers, nor the star in Terry's, red as he is. Not one is distinct. No care troubled the other fugitives. Still, when the first celerity they felt in their escape had passed away, they could not help remembering that they were at sea in the month of January, 
and that the wind was frozen. It was impossible to establish themselves in the cabin. It was much too narrow, and too much encumbered by bales and baggage. The baggage belonged to the passengers, the bales to the crew, for the hooker was no pleasure boat, and was engaged in smuggling. The passengers were obliged to settle themselves on deck, a condition to which these wanderers easily resigned themselves. Open-air habits make it simple for vagabonds to arrange themselves for the night. The open air, la belle étoile, is their friend, and the cold helps them to sleep, sometimes to die. This night, as we have seen, there was no belle étoile. The Languedocian and the Genoese, while waiting for supper, rolled themselves up near the women, at the foot of the mast, and some tarpaulin which the soldiers had thrown them. The old man remained at the bow motionless, and apparently insensible to the cold. The captain of the hooker, from the helm where he was standing, uttered a sort of guttural call somewhat like the cry of the American bird called the exclaimer. At his call the chief of the brand drew near, and the captain addressed him thus. Eteco Juana, these two words, which mean tiller of the mountain, form with the old Cantabri a solemn preface to any subject which should command attention. Then the captain pointed the old man out to the chief, and the dialogue continued in Spanish. It was not indeed a very correct dialect, being that of the mountains. Here are the questions and answers. Eteco Juana, que es el hombre, un hombre, que luengas el habla. Todos. Que cosa sabe? Todos. Que país? Ningún y todos. Que Dios? Dios. Como el llamas? El tanto. Como dices que el llamas? El sabio. An vestreste tropa que esta? Esta lo que esta. El jefe? No. Pues esta? La alma. The chief and the captain parted, each reverting to his own meditation, and a little while afterwards the Matutina left the gulf. Now came the great rolling of the open sea. The ocean and the spaces between the foam was slimy in appearance. The waves, seen through the twilight in indistinct outline, somewhat resembled splashes of gall. Here and there a wave, floating flat, showed cracks and stars, like a pane of glass broken by stones. In the center of these stars, in a revolving orifice, trembled a phosphorescence, like that feline reflection, of vanished light which shines in the eyeballs of owls. Proudly, like a bold swimmer, the Matutina crossed the dangerous Shambles Shoal. This bank, a hidden obstruction at the entrance of Portland Roads, is not a barrier. It is an amphitheater, a circus of sand under the sea, its benches cut out by the circling of the waves. An arena, round and symmetrical, as high as a Jungfrau, only drowned, a coliseum of the ocean, seen by the diver in the vision-like transparency which engulfs him, such is the shambles shoal. There hydras fight, leviathans meet. There, says the legend, at the bottom of the gigantic shaft, are the wrecks of ships, seized and sunk by the huge spider Kraken, also called the Fish Mountain. Such things lie in the fearful shadow of the sea. These spectral realities, unknown to man, are manifested at the surface by a slight shiver. In this nineteenth century the Shambles Bank is in ruins. The breakwater recently constructed has overthrown and mutilated, by the force of its surf, that high submarine architecture, just as the jetty, built at the Kreuzick in 1760, 
changed by a quarter of an hour the course of the tides and yet the tide is eternal but eternity obeys man more than man imagines end of section thirteen